So in our lectionary, we're still in this time of resurrection, hearing the resurrection stories that are marvelous. I was um, at Clonard on uh, Friday afternoon with, um, oh, I was with moderators, and um, Father Kieran asked me before the, the event, um, how do you approach a moderator? And I just said, you know, what do you call a moderator? I just said, you just say, hi, Noble, how are you? But he wanted something a little bit more um, formal than that. But we had uh, archbishops and bishops and all kinds of different people. Don't ask me how I was in the room, but there I was. And Martin Bashir from the BBC was there, you know, the one who's um, interviewed uh, uh, Michael Jackson, Princess Diana, uh, had a show in America for 13 years and is back now heading up religion at the BBC. He shared with us that um, his wife was brought up in Sandymount Street where Caitlin now lives, um, that his uh, father-in-law used to teach the Hewitt brothers, uh, those rugby-playing uh, stars of uh, past times um, in church, and that he grew up Muslim for the first 10 years of his life, but then came to faith in Christ um, at university. And I asked him at the end, um, is it true that he, he went to Emmanuel in London where Janice went to church for a period of time? And it is. And he was there to hear us um, telling him all kinds of things about what we thought about religious programming and programming in general. And um, it was, a, it was a, a very open discussion. And um, hope we, hopefully we got the Nolan Show banned, but maybe not. Um, but during it, he actually shared about a resurrection story. And he talked about Jesus' appearance to Mary and the other woman at the tomb. And um, his comment on it was that uh, Jesus met with the lowest of the low, which at that time would have been women. Um, those were the people that he met with. I was um, at the Baptist, um, Scottish Baptist Conference, if you remember back to November, I was over there. And one of the last conversations I had over tea was with a, a woman minister in the Baptist church who just was saying that, um, it's very difficult to be a woman in the Baptist church, and she told me all kinds of things. So before one of my poems that I was reading at the last event, I, I managed to get in that it's amazing to me, amazing to me, that it was women who were there uh, before the birth, Mary and Elizabeth. It was Mary who was the one who was the biggest witness to the birth of Jesus, that it was women who were still there at the cross and it was women who were the first to the tomb. And I suggested that maybe there's far more women in our Christmas and Easter stories than there are in our pulpits. I leave it with you. It's a long introduction to witnessing, being witnesses. Who are witnesses? Jesus at the last bit of this periscope, the lectionary calls it. This is our periscope for today. Um, or pericope actually um, you are witnesses of these things you are witnesses of these things yes I went back into the story yes I uh, read all about it but that was the thing that drew me at the end in verse 48 you are witnesses of these things well what things is the first thing that we ask well we've just talked about them the incarnation um, Jesus life and teaching Jesus' miracles, Jesus' parables, Jesus and his conflict with the Pharisees. But more than that, particularly for the disciples these last days and um, the road to Emmaus that uh, 
David up earlier on, trying to deal with the being witnesses to uh, that week when Jesus came in looking as if he was going to take over the whole world on a donkey and then at the end of the week was crucified on a cross and then these stories, whether it's Mary or Peter or Thomas of resurrection, you are witnesses of these things. He didn't say, oh, and now that you've seen this, is there any chance just in your spare time that you could be witnesses to these things? You are witnesses to these things. Witnesses to the uniqueness of who Jesus was. Witnesses to the uniqueness of who Jesus was. Witnesses to Jesus' presence among them. And of course there's other commissionings. Other times when Jesus commissions as well as you are my witnesses in the scriptures. As early as Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Um, Jesus, yes, the light of the world, but he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And John 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This calling upon the followers of Jesus to be light and salt and to be sent as Jesus was sent to make disciples be witnesses. And of course, this is on the, the fulcrum of Luke and Acts. We come to the end of Luke, but we realize that that's the one gospel that doesn't end at the end of its gospel, but that this is part of a, a two-part series where Luke writes both Luke, the gospel according to Luke, and the Acts of the Apostles. And so he ends with these words, or very near the end, you are witnesses of these things. And he starts Acts chapter 1 with, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're not invited into it. We are. And so what I do after I've read that in the early days of a week is I ponder that as to how that text might meet the context of us. Here we are. 2018, Belfast, Western, whatever we call that world, allies bombing somewhere, materialism never like we've had it before, post something, everything's post, post church, post God, this is what a a context of what we want to bring the text into. And so I'm asking myself, as I do every week when I'm preparing, the scriptures are there and I'm reading the scriptures and I'm reading commentaries here and then I'm seeing all your lovely wee faces. Every last one of you. Don't think I miss one of you as I'm trying to apply what that scripture is to the context of who is hearing it. So where does that happen? I sense this week as I've prepared this, that we find it difficult to be witnesses. We find it difficult to be witnesses. And in fact, if I said to you, okay, the homework is that before five o'clock, I want you to witness to somebody, which we've grown up to be told we need to do, that we would go, um, it wouldn't be comfortable. And yet when I talk about the context, can I say that when I say that to the team in Uganda this summer, 
even after they've only been there for a period of time, they will realize there will be a freedom to do that that we don't sense within ourselves. There's a, there's a, there's a, 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 an uncomfortable something within us when we think about witnessing for Jesus in 2018 where we live, where we work, among our friends. What is that about? I started to try and think, what is that about? Because we are witnesses, but why do we find it difficult to be witnesses? Well, my friend Martin Joseph, who's sung here and hopefully well again by uh, the end of the year. Uh, Martin has a song called, um, This is Not a Good Time for God. He doesn't mean it's not a good time for God um, and that God should someday hide away somewhere. But what he is saying is, it's, uh, it's not a good time for uh, God's reputation in the world radicalism in the world whether that's islam or whether that's christianity or whatever that might be the radicalism across our world today makes it difficult for us to hold to any kind of religiosity at all and christianity has been dismissed as a bit of a joke could you imagine anybody believing that stuff and i've watched television programs and i suppose none of us said this to martin bashir on Friday there were whole kinds of other issues but I am watching a program and watching people dismiss Christianity like we would be idiots to think that and maybe the new atheism has added to that although uh, the Martina Purdy the former political analyst of the BBC who's now a, a sister of adoration on the Falls Road spoke incredibly astutely into that on Friday afternoon but it's made us uneasy because Christianity is a bit of a joke. I'm not sure I want my friends to know that I'm a witness for that. There's no question that Trump-esque American version of Christianity, where evangelicals have taken to that racist, misogynist kind of um, example, that that makes us uneasy to even some of us would be saying, well, I don't know whether I could call myself a Christian. I'm certainly a follower of Jesus. Or people are asking, can I still be an evangelical? Whatever we want to label ourselves fuller of Jesus would do for me. But there's an uneasiness because of what Christianity looks like in other places. But let's not go pointing fingers. Because I imagine that some of our uneasiness is to do with the strident, judgmental Northern Ireland version of Christianity that is around us we've maybe grown up with and maybe even is lurking somewhere within us today and Christianity is no longer the language that's spoken or understood Uh, I was in China in 1990 a year after Tiananmen Uh, I had a chance to go to China and I was in Beijing, Shanghai, Nanjing, Honshu and um, we were meeting with uh, the church there and one morning we were doing communion and this uh, Chinese girl came in and sat in our group and um, uh, we were doing communion and we just assumed as you assume that people who are in church are there to do communion but this girl was actually in this church because it was a church that would have usually had a few English speaking people in it whether American or British or wherever and so she was in to learn English she wasn't there to worship she was there to meet people that spoke English Um, so that she could improve her English. Um, In 1990, that was something people were really kind of trying to do. I met a guy in the street, 
and uh, he looked at a couple of us and thought we might be English speaking so he stopped us just to learn his English and he said that he was learning his English through world service so it was 1990 so he said Packy Bonner Irish goalkeeper world cup and then he said Seb Koo 800 meters 1 minute 41.37 seconds and that's how he was learning his English and so this girl had come to learn English at church and so my friend um uh, she said to my friend when communion came round, what is this? She, she had never been to a communion service. I mean, it's pretty wacky when you don't know what you're at. And uh, so we tried to explain it to her. Uh, Rachel, who's a Church of England minister, and I was very good at that. I was glad I was sitting three seats away. And then the girl said, oh, God food. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good way I put it. But as we continued to talk to that girl, we realized that we weren't witnessing to her in the same context that we would have been witnessing to friends in the West. Because having grown up completely atheist, the language, Christianity as an idea, a concept, was something from a very far away place for her. And therefore we were having to start in very different ways to communicate faith. And I think, to be honest, that 28 years later after that Chinese experience, it's probably an experience that we would have here. They don't speak the language that we're trying to witness to. So when my friend Philip decided to try and convert me, he just said to me, what do you think about Jesus? And I had an idea about Jesus, and you should read this, and I read that. And, uh, and in an apologetics way, he convinced me that God existed because I had the framework or a language or something that allowed me, allowed Philip to enter that witnessing at that level. But I think I was saying at one of the nights we had here with John Gillespie that if Philip approached a 17-year-old Steve Stockman in 2018, I'm not sure that would have been as easy a task because he would have had to have led me into certain things that a 17-year-old now would not have that I had 40 years ago. So it's radicalism. It's uh, evangelical American right-wing politics. It's... Uh, Christianity with a new atheist dismissed as a joke if you believe those things. It's the strength judgmentalism we've been growing up with. It's the fact that it's not as easy to talk to somebody in that context as it used to be that maybe puts us off. And what we need to see is that we need to look at the whole thing maybe differently. We're in this for a long haul. We do more pre-evangelism than we used to do. The intrigue of the burning bush where God put this bush up that was in fire but not consumed to try and just bring Moses a little bit closer to it so as he can have a conversation with it. The pre-intrigue of Moses before he could confront Moses with who he was. We need to be about pre-evangelism that we didn't have to be in my time. We have to get people thinking in different ways about who Jesus is. There's a deconstruction that we need because people have a view of Jesus that's a very faulty view of Jesus that we need to break down and we need to put the real Jesus of the gospel back into place. The Jesus before religion tarnished it. I've been reading a book this week, um, or last week I read it, um, about the, the singer Larry Norman. Uh, Larry Norman was from a particular time and place, but my friend Philip that I told you about, who was doing his witnessing to me, um, uh, he'd sort of, I was at a point in my life where I was almost there that God existed. But I'll be honest, I thought, even he does exist, 
there's not much relevance with what I see in the church to the world that I live in. And Philip handed me this record by a guy called Larry Norman and I can remember putting it on the turntable and the music coming in and this rock sound coming in and me thinking, have I got this religion wrong? Is there something vibrant and energetic below what I'm seeing? And Larry Norman, in reading his biography this week, had a huge influence in my life to get me past religiosity and churchianity to who the real Jesus was. And this week I was sitting in the welcome area and a couple of guys walked past and as I looked at them I was saying to myself, what do they think? As they, they looked to the left, they looked into the church, they looked to see what it was and I thought, what do they think that church symbolizes? And do they get even a smidgen of the revolutionary, the turning upside down kingdom bringer that Jesus was? Is that what they're thinking? There's a vibrant place that could change and shake the foundations of the world or what was it they were seeing we're going to have to deconstruct a lot of stuff that we've need to confess we've constructed to be able to show them the genuine Jesus of the scriptures we need to be a presence before words a presence before words there was a period of time where I think words were really good Words were really important. Words were really crucial. But whatever has happened in this generation, people need to experience and feel and see something of this Jesus before they're going to be prepared to think or talk about him. And when you do show Jesus, it's amazing what can happen. I have a friend um, who had uh, a strong faith when he was younger and like many of his generation have given it up because of some of these things. And he told me that when Ken was on the radio one morning talking about his book, that he had to park the car at the side of the road and weep because the stuff that Ken was talking about, about reconciliation and peace building in Northern Ireland, moved him in his soul to tears. Now what's going on there? Ken's presence in peacemaking, Ken being the authentic revolutionary in peacemaking, had got past the churchianity and the religiosity that this guy had rejected and had touched him with the real meaningful Jesus. The disciples were a wee bit different than we are. Sadly, no matter how exciting I can make this service, and you're saying it's not your most exciting this morning, Stockman, um, no matter how exciting I can make this sermon, I'm imagining that you're not going out there with the same enthusiasm or excitement that the disciples are after they've seen the resurrected Jesus. You don't have to keep those guys and girls down because they've just seen the resurrected Jesus. They are going to tell people. But the other side of it is that sometimes we hear an album or sometimes we're at a movie or sometimes we read a book or sometimes we go to a place on holiday and we have that same enthusiasm that the disciples had. Have you heard this album? You need to hear it. I'm going to send you this album. I'm going to buy you this book. In fact, don't bother buying it. I'm going to give it to you. You need to go and see that movie. Because we've experienced something that we can do nothing but share. And we need to find that again. We need to find that again within ourselves, this experience of God in our own lives that we want to share. But we want to do it and kind of be very brief in a few ways. We want to share this gospel with humility. 
We want to share it with humility. We want to share it with sacrifice for others, with servant hearts, because that's how Jesus taught us and hasn't always been the way. We want to do it by being a presence. She's out in crash, so I can tell you this. Shh, don't tell her. When Janice went to work in Ballybean, she refused to tell them what her husband did and that she had a faith. It wasn't an embarrassment. It was because of all the things I've told you before. Their view of what it would have been if they found out early on would have been their idea of what it was. So I looked after students. I was a kind of a caretaker. I was all kinds of things, but I certainly wasn't the chaplain at Queen's University. And then about three or four months in, maybe longer actually, maybe six or seven months in, they were having a discussion over coffee because a couple of them had their children had gone off to the SU camp at school. And there was great worry in the house that they would become some of the things I'd been sharing about earlier on the service. And Janice was being very quiet and then eventually one of them said, what do you, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of them, aren't you? To which Janice at that stage couldn't deny her Lord like Peter and uh, said that she was. And the rest of her time there was a time of being a witness because she was a presence first she got their trust. And they knew she was, not because she was quiet in that conversation, but because because she was quiet in that conversation, they all went back through the months that she'd spent with them and they went, I knew it. Learn the right to speak. Be a presence. Invite people and don't judge them. Let's invite them to meet our Jesus. Let's invite them to think about it without starting with judgment. Understand the context that we're in, that this is going to be a long haul. And let's get excited about the presence of God the way we are about the new Kieran Lavery album or the new Larry Norman biography or the new whatever. Let me finish with a quote of Douglas Copeland's that I use an awful lot um, from his Hey Nostradamus novel, which is about a Christian judgmental kind of dude. He says, we are judged by our deeds, not our wishes. We are the sum of our decisions. You are my witnesses, Jesus said. You are my witnesses. And can I say that tonight Neville will show us a great gifting in the witness of apologetics? I'm not going to. And you're probably not going to. Can I say when I get my chances, I can preach the gospel as full on and as fired up as anybody? I'm going to. But many of you are not going to. We all come with a different way of witnessing. Some of you are going to find it really easy to get into conversations with your friends. Some of you are going to find it more difficult. Maybe even because of your contacts. But the first thing that we get in this passage is Jesus' presence among them. That's the biggest thing that they're witnesses to. The presence of Jesus among them. And you can be a witness to the presence of Jesus in your life. By how you talk about that pregnancy. How you talk about that healed relationship. How you talk about that moment in hospital when you felt God heal you or be part of the healing of you or just be in a peace to you. All of us are witnesses to God's presence in our lives. But all of us do it in different ways. And we will be judged by our deeds. Not by our wishes. 
We're not going to be judged as Fitzroy because of some wonderful phrases we have, creeds that we have, or a Westminster Confession of Faith if we've ever read it. We will be judged by our deeds, not our wishes. We are the sum of our decisions. And we are witnesses to Jesus Christ. So last thing as we pray. How do people see your witness? Where can we, where can we be witnesses? Where are the places that we can be the word made flesh in our society? Let's pray. Lord, it's a difficult time to follow Jesus because for many years we were center of the culture and now we're moving towards the margins. But maybe, Lord, we shouldn't be frustrated at that because the passages we're reading from Luke, Jesus is not in the center of the culture but on the margins. And it's people on the margins, the woman at the resurrection who start to be witnesses and change the world. So we pray you would give us insight, sensitivity, wisdom, humility. And most of all, that we would be your word made flesh wherever we are. If that's in a home, if that's on a street, if that's in a leisure center, if that's on a sports pitch, if that's on a mountain, if that's on a beach, if that's in our place of work, wherever we are this week, we are your witnesses. May we be such a presence of God in that place that we would cause conversation about you and draw people to you because we are your witnesses. Equip us and send us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.